And uh, what a blessing to be here. We have been uh, watching online and uh, praying for you, celebrating what the Lord is doing here in an area uh, where we grew up at and have roots in. And uh, no telling how many times I have driven this road out here and and uh, and been all over the place down here. And so uh, thank you for making us feel welcome, my wife Tracy and I. And it is certainly our joy to be with you uh, here today and look forward to hopefully coming back many times and worshiping the Lord with you and uh, being part of what he is doing here. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would turn to Luke's Gospel chapter 24. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. I do encourage you to have something to write with, have something to write on. I have learned, especially at my age, that a short pencil is better than a long memory. Amen. (laughs) Man, I have some great thoughts and think I'll never lose that. And five minutes later, I just can't get it back. And so I encourage you to write some things down and and, uh, take them with you today. And uh, let the Lord use them uh, later as you go back through them. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. We're going to begin reading at verse 36. I want to preach today on this thought, there's an elephant in the room. Now that is not a commentary on the preacher's size, amen? (laughs) There's an elephant in the room. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24 and verse 36. The Bible says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. And he saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. When he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, And he took it, and he did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures." And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. If you would, hold your place and let's make our prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for another day of life. Lord, there are some 200,000 people that were alive yesterday that are not alive today. 
some 200,000 people that had plans for today. Maybe they thought they would go here or there. They would meet with their loved one. They would get around to that project on the house or perhaps go shopping or whatever they might do in this area, might go to the river. But Lord, they didn't make it until today. Lord, we pray that we would think soberly about that. For our life is but a vapor that appears for a short time and vanishes away. Lord, I pray this morning that you would make your word come alive. Lord, that we would see our sin, that we would see ourselves and that we would see our great Savior. Lord, I pray whatever it is that we don't see, you would show us. I pray whatever it is we don't know, you would teach us. And I pray whatever it is we don't have, you would give us. Lord, anoint me to preach today. And may every person hear in their own language what they need to hear from you. And we ask all of this in your great name. Amen. And amen. I used to be a very uh, avid reader. I lost most of my sight about eight years ago. I would read about a book a week and, and uh, try to take a lot of notes and be able to incorporate the things I was reading uh, into our lives in ministry and but a little while back, I was going through a book, and all of a sudden, in the middle of a page, there's a phrase in that page, and it says, there's an elephant in the room. And what I learned was that phrase means that there's something awkward and obvious in the room or amongst the group of people, and everyone knows about it, but nobody is talking about it. It's just not being addressed. Jesus here begins to talk to the disciples and opens their eyes to three things. First of all, A, He shows them His purpose. Verse 44 to 46, it says, The Bible says, And He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms, concerning me then open he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and he said unto them thus it is written thus it behooved christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day first of all he showed them his purpose in coming it's amazing to me that the disciples walked with him for some three and a half years he told them over and over who he was, why he came, and that he was going to suffer, be betrayed by men, and give his life a ransom. And yet, it, uh, all the way up to the final point of that, they're denying that. They're arguing with that. They're trying to get him to go in another direction. Dear friends, that's Jesus' purpose in coming to this world. He didn't come just to set a good example. He didn't come to just be a master teacher. He gave to suffer for the sins of His people. For me and for you. 
He came to give His life a ransom. No man took His life from Him. He laid it down of His own accord. And we need to remember that message. And we need to continue to get out that message. We have the greatest message in the history of the world. Jesus didn't come to make good men better. Jesus came to raise dead men to life. And that's what He has done in my life. And if you know Him as your Savior, that's what He's done in your life. So first of all, He reveals to them His purpose. Secondly, B, He shows them His plan. Verse 47. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. God's plan is not wrestlers for worship. God's plan is not jugglers for Jesus. God's plan is that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in His name. No other name but the name above all names given among men whereby we must be saved. That is His plan. There is no plan B. There is no other plan. So He shows them, first of all, A, His purpose, then B, His plan, and then C, He speaks to them about His power. In verse 49, He said, And behold, I send the promise of My Father upon you. Talking about the Holy Spirit, He said, But tarry here, go and stay in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. The Lord said, now you know my purpose and you know my plan and I want you to go, but not yet. There is something that is obvious and you kind of know, but nobody is talking about it. And that is this, that you don't have the power to do it on your own. It doesn't matter your education. Somebody asked me last night, they said, do you have a degree? I said, yes, I have a few. I said, but you can have 32 and still be frozen. Amen. A degree is not power with God. We mistake action for unction and busyness for God moving. We need the power of God in our churches again. We don't need a new vision statement. We don't need a snazzy sermon series. We need the power of God in our lives and in our churches again. And we all know it, but nobody is talking about it. There's an elephant in the room. And if you're going to follow Christ for His purposes, and if you're going to live out His plan, you've got to have His power, for without Christ we can do nothing. We can have a little training, we can have a little talent, but without the power of God working in us and through us, we have nothing. Now church, I understand this morning there's a, there's a transition coming here in the text as Jesus is, is leaving and the Holy Spirit is coming. But what I want us to, to indwell them and empower them, but what I want us to see this morning is that there were some practical things that they had to take care of before the power came. See, I used to look at this and read this and and think, man, they, they just got in a locked room for 10 days and they prayed for 10 days and then God showed up. Maybe we just need to get some people that love the Lord and, and bring them in here and stay in here for 10 days and just pray. But the more I looked at this and the more I studied this, the more I began to see there were some things that this group of people had to take care of 
in order for God to fill them and to use them. And there are often some things that we need to take care of if God is going to use us in a powerful way to reach the world. So I want to give you five things this morning that they did in preparation for the power of God. Now some of you, this may not excite you. You're excited about football season's coming up and you're excited about this and you're excited about that and I am too, by the way. I ain't going to be a hypocrite. I get excited about some of that. But listen to me. There's nothing more important to me in my life than God using me. Than living. I will not live a life subpar to what He has for me. And so if that is you, unbuckle your belt buckle, sit up on the edge of your seat, and get ready to write some things down. I think will help us out with this elephant that's in the room, especially in American Christianity today. First of all, number one, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to read verse 49, and then we're going to go to Acts 1.12. So verse 49. Jesus said, Jesus who was never wrong anyhow. Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now turn to Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Jesus tells them, Go to Jerusalem and stay there. Until the power comes. Acts chapter 1 verse 12. Then return they unto Jerusalem. From the mount called Olivet, which was from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So Jesus says, go to Jerusalem, stay there until the power comes. Now they're there. What did they do? Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one. They solved interpersonal relationship problems they solved interpersonal relationship problems verse 13 and 14 and when they were come in they were up into an went up into an upper room where abode both peter and james and john and andrew philip and thomas bartholomew and and matthew james the son of alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Now what I want us to understand here, church, this morning is that this little band of people had some interpersonal problems. In fact, if you remember or take a walk in your mind, through the Gospels, if you remember the, the Gospels, there were some real problems with these folks. First of all, in this list, we have James and John. They were position conscious. Jesus carries them up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They see the Father reveal His glory and say, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. They see Christ and His glory revealed. But when they're coming back down the road from that, instead of being enamored with God and His glory, instead of being enamored with Christ and His glory, they're coming down the road and they're arguing about which of them is the greatest. 
Can I tell you something this, this morning? There's only one great one. And it's not you. And it's not me. It's Christ. But they were position conscious. They put their mother up to asking if they can sit on his right hand. And they only worried about what role they're going to get to play. So you have these two guys, they're position conscious, and, and they want to sit on the Lord's right hand. And then you have Peter. Peter blew it all the time. I mean, Peter, Peter's a cursor. He's a hothead. Anybody identifying yet with Peter? Peter's a bad businessman who claimed to be a fisherman, but I only see one time where he caught any fish. He is up and down and in and out. He says he'll die for Jesus. And then he just quits and says, I'm going fishing. That's Peter. Then we have Philip. Philip had little vision and he didn't think the Lord could feed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. And then we have Thomas in this group. And he's a doubter who never believed what Jesus did or could do. Then we have Matthew who was a tax collector who had gotten rich off gigging people for too much money for the government. And then we have Mary and the women. And they were upset because nobody believed their report about the resurrection. And what I want us to see this morning, church, is these were not stellar people who always got along all the time. They had some issues and some differences and some problems, but we know they addressed it because in verse 14 it says they got in one accord. There was business going on in the upper room. It wasn't just silent. They got past their cheap carnal Christianity and they grew up and they said these differences are not worth it and they died to themselves and they went forward for the gospel and the glory of God's name. I was counseling a little while back up north in the state of Ohio. Y'all pray for Ohio. They need a lot of Jesus. But I had two people that just could not get along. It was a it was two people, and they, did, they just couldn't get along. And, and so I brought them in, and, and they're sitting right there in my office, and I'm talking to them. I says, okay, you go first. And, man, this guy, he just begins to list it all out, every problem with this other person, and, and he just continues, and he just goes on for 30 minutes until finally he gets through. And then I looked at the other person, and I says, okay. I said, now you talk to me. What's going on? And man, they took about 30 minutes, the same thing, just going on and on about this other person and what was wrong with them. And finally, he got through and I said, listen, I said, get something to write with. I said, get something to write with, something to write on. I said, I've got something for you. I said, I really think it's going to help you. And so they're scrambling for something to write with and something to write on. Finally, they're sitting up. I'm like, you ready? And they're like, yeah. I said, you, are you really ready? You want some help? And they're like, yeah. I said, I got something for you. I said, two words. You ready? Grow up. And I'm here to tell you, folks, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my Christian life, the Lord, I mean, He don't take it easy on His people. You learn anything reading the Bible, He'll let the world get away with stuff for now on. But when you belong to Him, He's going to deal with you. He deals with His own. 
He chastises his own. And there's been a few, several times in my Christian life where he just came to me and said, Son, you just need to grow up a little bit. You need to step it up. And here in this group of people, that, that's where they were. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride comes contention. And if there's issues with me and you, there's pride involved. If we can't get past it, there's pride involved. And we're never more like the enemy, Satan, when there's pride involved. We're never more like the Lord than when there's humility. And some of us, some of God's people, we just need to get over ourselves and realize that whoever has hurt us or whatever differences we have with a brother or sister, it is not worth us failing at reaching people with the gospel. So let's all purpose that His name is of more importance than our name. Let's address our issues and let's go on for the glory of God. Let's go on for the glory of God. I lived in this city for some 26 years. Not one time did anybody from a church ever come to our house to tell us about Christ. Not one time. What are we doing? They know who our favorite football team is. They know our favorite hobbies. But do they know our Christ? There's too much, at, too much at risk. We've got to get over ourselves and get it in gear for the gospel. We're on our way to power, church, and to reaching the world. They solve, first of all, number one, their interpersonal problems. Number two, write this down. Very important. Number two, they recognize God-appointed leadership. They recognize God-appointed leadership. The first part of verse 15, the Bible says, And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, Now of all the people to stand up and take charge, could you believe it would be Peter? Peter was so messed up, and yet it was him that God chose to lead them in that moment. Peter denied the Lord. Peter never finished an assignment and all these things. But all that mattered was that they knew he was God's appointed man for this time and this place. Can I tell you, you never want to be that person who talks bad about those whom God has decided to use in ministry. You never want to be that person. Never touch God's anointed. They will never be perfect, but God has chosen to put His hand on them and they are to be respected and helped to do what God has called them to do. Can I tell you this? Don't be jealous. Don't be envious. Can I tell you this? Stay in your lane. Sometimes in the church there's someone who will lead worship or who can sing or who can teach or, or whatever. These, these different gifts and abilities and all of God's people have them. But so many times when God is using one, 
Others will get jealous and envious and they'll want to get in a place that's not theirs to be. Can I tell you? Stay in your lane. God created you for where He has you. And you will cause a terrible wreck if you get out of your lane and try to get in somebody else's space that's not yours. Stay in your lane. God created you. He made you. He's gifted you. Pour yourself into your gift, your talent, your ability. Consecrate it. Sanctify yourself for God will do wonders with you and in you and through you. But it's going to be in the lane He has for you. It's not going to be when you're out of place. Don't be judgmental. Just grow up and help God's leadership to do their best to follow Christ in ministry and service. Can I tell you this? It's hard enough being in the battle for the Lord without being shot by your own people. And man, we live in a day, especially with social media, where we meet each other in church and, man, how you doing? Oh, doing great. And then you turn around a little bit and you get this from behind. That doesn't glorify God. And a lost world sees that and hears that and then they don't want anything to do with what we say we have. Why would they? If it can't change me to loving you, why do they need it? And if it ain't enough of Christianity to help you forgive me because I'm going to fall short all the time, why do they need it? So let's submit to Christ, walk with Christ, be filled with the Spirit of Christ, abide in Christ, and we'll get past those things. Peter stood up. And God has called saved church members to submit to biblical leadership and to follow them as they seek to reach people with the gospel of Christ. We're on our way, church. We're on our way. You're on your way. I watch online. I see. I hear. God is here and God is moving. But He can move more. He can move more. There is no building that can contain Him. There is no property that is, that is too big for Him. God is greater. God can do greater than you can think or imagine. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above far more than you can think or imagine. That's the God we serve. We're on our way to power, to reaching the world. They solved their interpersonal problems. They recognized God-appointed leadership. Number three, write this down. Number three. They placed themselves under the authority of the Scripture. They placed themselves under the authority of the Scripture. In verse 16, the Bible says, Men and brethren, Peter stands up, Men and brethren, this Scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was God to them that took Jesus. Peter stands up and he points them to the Scriptures. 
For three and a half years, the Lord has been their authority. But now Jesus is gone and the Scriptures are their authority. They submitted themselves to follow the Bible. That's one of the great differences between saved people and lost people. We follow the Bible. It determines everything we do for our faith and how we live our lives, and what we do in ministry. We read the Scriptures every day, and then we bring ourselves under what we read. We listen to God's man preach and teach the Word, and we check it out, looking at the Bible while He does, to make sure that what we're being taught is right, and then we do what it says. We will never have God's hand on us if we will not follow His Word. God doesn't raise up rebels. He raises up followers. You want God's power in your life individually or corporately, you got to live in this. You got to do what this says. This is Him. We follow Him. This is His instructions. We're on our way to power, to seeing God move to changing things in this county, to busting doors down, to pulling strongholds down. Drugs is no match for Christ. It's no match. Alcohol is no match for Christ. Pornography is no match for Christ. There's no chain he cannot break. But you've got to have the power of God. You've got to see the power of God to see those happen. If not, the enemy will laugh at you. Seeing how great he is all you want. If you won't walk in this truth, you won't see how great he is. It's more than a song. You better have more than a G and a C and a D chord walking through Walmart. Ain't nobody following you around going, how great. As you walk down the aisle, you got to walk in this. You got to walk in truth. You got to abide in Him, be filled with Him, be anointed by Him. So much so that when the, the dealers and, the, and, the, and all the wicked drive by here, they go, that's a dangerous church. People go in there and they get changed. Isn't that what we need? Isn't that our message? We don't need new graphics. We need a new demonstration of the God of this book. That's what we need. There's an elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the room. We're on our way to power, reaching the world, tearing down strongholds. They solved their interpersonal problems. They got over it. They recognized God-appointed leadership. They placed themselves under the authority of the Scripture. Number four, write this down. Big one here. Number four. They didn't let other people determine their agenda. They didn't let other people determine their agenda. Verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of names together was about 120. Now I want you to see this. Peter stands up. And there's 120 people. See, if I had been there, if I had been Peter, I'd have said, where's the 5,000 at? Where's Zacchaeus at? 
Where's that little boy with the, the fish and the, and the bread? Where's that leper that got cleansed? And isn't that how we are? If we're not careful, hear me church, if we're not careful, we pay more attention to people who are not with us than the ones who are with us. We ought to thank God for who God has sent us. Who God has sent us. Listen, the internet has not done us any favors. Because I remember 30 years ago when I got saved, and man, preacher, you just... You knew you couldn't do it. You got the Bible. You got on your face. You begged God to give you something to show up. God's people were praying and all that kind of thing. But nowadays we get on the internet and we see what's that church down the road doing. I mean, they got a few folks. And what is this one doing? And what are they? Boy, that's snazzy stuff they got going on. And then there's a new lighting system out and all this kind of stuff. We're hearing from people that aren't even part of your church, and before long, you're letting a world that's not even here determine what you do when you are here. You are God's people here. You have one director. You have one master. You have one leader of this church. His name is Jesus Christ. And quit letting anybody else determine what you're supposed to do when it's God that bought you and sought you and owns you. This is His church. And anybody should tremble that tries to touch it. God kills people. For touching what's his. And he don't want them to put their hands on it. Be careful. Be careful. And by the way. Anybody that's not with you. And calls you up. And tries to act all friendly. And try to determine your agenda here. Just hang up. <laughs> don't listen to them. They're not your instructor. They're not your master. They're not your leader. God is your master and leader. Turn off the internet and get into the book. Put some, put some worn out places on the carpet in your living room where you meet God every morning. On your knees. And you'll get more agenda and you got time and energy and everything else for. He'll wear you out. You won't need anything from anybody else. There's an elephant in the room. We need the power of God. We got to have the power of God. Programs are not enough. Great staff is not enough. Education is not enough. A right doctrinal statement is not enough. You can be so right, you're wrong. The Pharisees were so right, they stunk. We need Christ. We need God. We need God in our church. Back in our country. And can I tell you this? Harder days are coming, church. You better be ready. If you don't know this, you're not going to make it. 
If you're not walking with him, you're not going to make it. They're going to come after you at your job for being a believer. They're going to come after us in this nation for being a believer. They're going to come after your church for preaching the Bible. Will you still stand? Careful. Before you speak. All it took was a threat of sickness to shut our country down. Will we stand in then? There's an elephant in the room. We need the power of God. We need it. Number one, they solve their interpersonal problems. Somebody, There's probably somebody today, instead of turning left and going home, you need to hang a right and go get something right with somebody. You need to call somebody. You need to have a family meeting. You need to grab somebody before you walk out of here and fix it. It ain't worth losing the power of God for. You need to recognize the God-appointed leadership He has given you and thank God for them. Thank God for them. Pray for them. Build them up. If somebody tries to shoot them, you step in the way and take the shot. You stand up for them. They, somebody messes with them, they mess with you. You're a body. You're a body. We're brothers and sisters. We stand with one another on good days and on hard days. We're there. Number three, we submit ourselves to this. This is it. We don't need anything else. Number four, we don't let other people determine our agenda. And number five, and I'm done. Number five. They determined to care about the condition of the body. They determined to care about the condition of the body. In verses 24 to 26, it says, And they prayed, and they said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show which of these two you have chosen, that he may take part in this ministry of apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth the lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. They saw there was a need in the body. Somebody had fell, and somebody needed to fill that need. Somebody needed to take that place. And when we grow spiritually more mature, we begin to see with spiritual eyes and we notice when there are needs in the Lord's body and the Lord's work. Jesus said, don't say there's four months and then comes harvest. Lift up your eyes. The fields are already wide unto harvest. See with spiritual eyes. Do you see your neighbors that are lost? Do you see a public school system that needs Christ? Do you need a nation that is burning on fire? Our nation's on fire. And we're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Trying to come up with new decoration. Our country's burning down. It's burning down. Does that make you pray? Or do you pray when you go by the Chevy dealership? Is that when you pray? 
This world is not my home. We're headed out of here. But until then, let's count for Christ. Let's count for Christ. I give you this and I'm done. I'd like to give you a spiritual illustration, but I find many times they go over Baptist heads, amen. So I'll give you one maybe we can get. When I was in Florida years ago in school, in Bible college, the first year, I didn't get to spend much time with my boys because I was studying all the time doing ministry and I got convicted about it. And I used, as I said, love to fish. And so I said, Lord, I said, there's great fishing here. You know that. I said, God, I don't have any money to get a little boat. I said, but God, you can send me the money to get a little boat. And I started praying. And, and in the next week or so, God sent me $3,500. And I went and I found a little ugly boat. Just not much to it. A little 35 Mercury and a trolling motor. And even had life jackets and all of that. So I took my boys and we launched down at the river and we got out there, I cranked it up, put it in gear and take off down the river. Got out in the middle of the river and all of a sudden it went. It just died. So I thought, what in the world, you know? And I went back there and looked at it and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. I waited a few minutes and cranked it up again. Running down the river. And all of a sudden just it died. I went back there and I got to looking at it. It had a little bitty cheap five-gallon gas can. And on the top it had a lid. And in the middle of that lid, it had a little knob. And the big boats I fished out of before didn't have a little thing like that. So I thought, what is that little knob? And I reached down and I turned that little bitty knob. And when I did, it went And what had happened, that was a valve, and somebody had closed it and turned the air off to where the motor couldn't breathe. And because it couldn't breathe, there was no power. You know what I think we've done many times? We've let our issues with other people turn off the power of God. We don't think it's anything, but God sees it, and he knows about it. We've let in the fact that we spend more time complaining about leadership than we do praying for them turn off the air. We've let the fact that we're not being obedient to God's word turn off the air in our lives. We've let the fact that others are getting in our heads determining what we do in this church and in your life when God's not called you to listen to them he's called you to listen to him he's called you to listen here you're here and he's called us to care about the condition of this body where he puts you he has you here the needs here they matter to you. That's where he has you. You need to get, get under them. Get with them.
get involved in them and open the valve. God wants to open the valve here, church. But we got to get ready. Are you ready? Let's all stand to our feet this morning. God of heaven, we need you. Lord, there's an elephant in the room, and the, and the elephant is, we can sing, but that doesn't guarantee that you move here. Lord, we have preaching, but that doesn't guarantee that you move here. Lord, we have uh, facilities, and we have staff, and we have uh, plans, and we have all of this. But God, that doesn't guarantee your power here. Lord, we need you here. Lord, there are families in this church, there are couples in here this morning that, Lord, are hanging on. They're hanging on. Husbands and wives coming apart. Lord, they need you. They can't just sit in this room. They need you. Lord, there are young people here fighting at dark things, pulling at them and calling them. Lord, they need you. And so, Lord, this morning in your great name, in this place, without the world watching, without the world knowing, it's us and it's you. Lord, would you work in our hearts, put us on our face, bring back your power again, Work here is only you can work. And you're here this morning. God is working in your heart this morning. He's using His Word. He's using His Spirit. And as God is working in your heart through the message this morning, I want to encourage you to step out of where you are. Come find a place on this altar. Bring your spouse. Bring your family. Bring another young person. And meet God. Ask Him. Seek Him. Come home in this place. Lord, this morning we ask You, we beg You, we beseech You, work in our lives. Lord, we can't live out this faith without the One who is our faith. Lord, we need more than right doctrine. We need right living. We need right victory. We need freedom. Break our bondages, Lord. Break our pride. Break our normalcy, our lukewarmness. Call us back to a fire that is hot and that changes things in our home and in our towns, in our nation. Do what only you can do. And we will thank you for what you do. In your great name, amen.